Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning everybody. Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast on your 3CR. And as you heard, we're on a subscriber drive at the moment. We're hoping that you will remember us but update your yearly subscription or in fact become a subscriber because you realise that this is the greatest radio station in the world Um, or you know just in our little part of it. Uh, Subscriber rates, unwaged concession pension 40, waged 80, band organisation 150, solidarity 300. And of course, you can uh, either come into the station, we'd love to see you, you can come and have a look around. Uh, that's during business hours, Monday to Friday. Uh, you can uh, ring up during that time or you can go online. There's plenty of ways. If you're uh, only using cash, that's we're happy, we're happy with cash. Uh, if uh, you want to go online, that's great too. So, uh, you know, I have to get four people to who listen to Solidarity Breakfast. Uh, if you say that it was from Solidarity Breakfast so you, that you got the tip about uh, 3CR being the best station in the world, then uh, I'd be happy. Uh, today we're going to um, hear about uh, the uh, Victoria Mosque Open Day, which is coming up, and that's on the 25th of February. Uh, they're opening their doors to the community to, and they're going to be focusing on uh, pa- Palestinian culture in response to the traumatising news that's going on, the events that are happening in Gaza and the West Bank at the, this moment. The uh, In Solidarity, uh, we're going to hear about a new jazz club um, over in the southwest, southeast, I mean, southeast. Um, it's part of the um, Monash uh, um, Performing Arts Centre. The university has opened up, a, a revamped its entire um, art precinct and uh, there's a, we're going to hear about this jazz club which is and some of the uh, up close and intimate uh, events that are happening at the each uh, last Saturday of each month up till August. Uh, we're going to hear from Laura Week from Techno Park. There's been a massive update, uh, uh, positive update in that area. And uh, if we've got enough time, we're going to hear some research about um, prison visitors 
if that doesn't happen this week, we'll certainly hear about it next week. But before we go on, there's a couple of very important uh, things to talk about. One of them is Julian Assange. February the 20th, the extradition date is being set on February the 20th. That's next week. Um, the uh, You would may have heard that two-thirds of the Australian Federal Parliament voted for the UK to free Assange and send him back to Australia. Um, <clears throat> this was based on the independent Andrew Wilkes motion, 86 uh, for and 43 against Albanese and the cabinet in the four camp, which is interesting, although they still carried on about how they haven't actually changed their position, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, all the good work has been uh, paid, has paid off in that regards. But um, of course, the case um, to, if it falls through, uh, there's a case that's already been developed to go to the Human Rights uh, Commission, European Human Rights Commission. Stella Assange in a, a special MEAA uh, event that was held on Friday morning uh, said that uh, if he was released and given a pardon, it implies he has done something wrong. And she says that uh, this should worry many people across the world because it will be the death knell for public interest journalism. The Americans can have whatever they want in regards to secrecy and bastardry. Um, and a very slow, unreliable approach to journalistic access to proceedings online or in person with some information saying only journalists in England or Wales will be given access on to the online proceedings, which is, uh, you know, fundamentally a, uh, a um, bureaucratic method of ensuring that uh, people uh, don't witness their skullduggery, I guess. Um, there's going to be a 24-hour vigil at the British Consulate that's in Melbourne and I'm sure in other places, but in Melbourne it's 90 Collins Street and it's going to run uh, from the 20... Uh, it, 5 p.m. on the 20th through to the next morning, uh, through to the uh, 5 p.m. on the next day, so the 20th to the 21st, and it's going to be at the uh, British Consulate. There will obviously be speakers. Um, the uh, other thing that's happened is an extraordinary thing, in fact, um, on the positive side of the uh, ledger, on Thursday, 15th of February, the Venice Biennale announced that Australia's back-to-back theatre, which is a regional Geelong theatre, you will be aware, we've done interviews with the back-to-back people, it's a most amazing theatre company, but the Venice Biennale has also agreed that it is, and it's the 2024 recipient of the Golden Lion Award for Lifetime Achievement in Theatre. And this is just mind-blowing. The Venice Biennale is one of the most prestigious cultural festivals in the world, um, and it's a celebration of art and architecture, as you will be aware, probably. The Biennale explores themes of politics and contemporary culture and social issues through performance, sculpture and installation. And each year it awards its highest prize, the Golden Lion, in the areas of film, theatre, dance and music, 
and biannually for art and architecture. And 2023 recipients of the Golden Lion include Armando Puzzo for uh, architecture, um, and for the theatre, Brian Eno Music and the feature film Poor Things Film, directed by Yorgos Lathimos and starring Emma Jones, Stone. Anyway, they um, the directors of the v- Venus Biennale's theatre department, Stefano Ricci and Giovanni Forte, said back-to-back theatre presents present a a visionary parallel, a parable of communication that with poetic ferocity disintegrates every prejudice, every stigma of compassion. If the body has expressive limitations on stage, these demarcations themselves become a different grammar. Our fears, our puritanican, puritan tolerance, our moral blindness are blown away by back-to-backs, theatres, cruel tales of dangerous worlds, where diversity carries with it the amplification of knowledge, of inclusion, to heal the deformities of our awareness as apparently abled people. Because no matter what limitation a person may feel, it is up to us as the human consortium to remove it. This is what culture does, this is theatre to be deserved. This and much more is back-to-back theatre. It's just amazing. Upon hearing the news, back-to-back ensemble responded, "Wow, this is very prestigious prize, and we're, we're expecting. We weren't expecting this news. We are amazed and excited at what the award present, represents, as it can open up artistic freedoms, and allows us." to continue to do what we do. It is thrilling to win a golden lion and we are very honoured. I just, I love it, the practicality of it. Um, It's going to be presented, uh, the prize, uh, on Sunday the 30th of June during the 52nd International Theatre Festival. And if you want to catch up with Back to Back Theatre in the real world, they're premiering their new work, Multiple Bad Things, in their hometown of Geelong, at Geelong Performing Arts Centre from the 11th to the 13th of April and internationally at the Theatre Nationale Brussels from the 10th to the 12th of May and at the Melbourne's Malthouse Theatre from the 29th of May to the 9th of June 2024. Fantastic stuff. That is just mind-blowing stuff, I think. No more whispering in our arms Gonna rise up to break these chains And stop these killing games Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne invites you to join us on Saturday the 17th of February at midday at the State Library, Swanson Street, Melbourne to mark the 20th anniversary of the death in custody of Redfern teenager TJ Hickey. Honour the memory of TJ and the many deaths in custody families that now number more than 555 since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. No one to date has been held responsible for these deaths. We demand end the practice of police investigating police and immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. 
Come along Saturday 17th of February, midday, at the State Library. Isja Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. We're going to go to the Sydney rally for Palestine. This was the 11th of February rally, and this is thanks to the intrepid 3CR reporter Vivian Langford from the Climate Action Show. Uh, this is Riyad Sharida. She's a filmmaker. Uh, and a reminder that there is the rally tomorrow at 12pm at the State Library Steps. Speaker I want to in- invite to come up and speak is the daughter of Palestinian refugees, Rehab Sharida. Make her welcome. I'd first like to begin by acknowledging the land that we're gathered on here today and express my absolute solidarity with their struggle against colonialism and occupation here. While the media and other Australian institutions distract us with their WhatsApp lists and other trivial news, Gaza continues to be pounded. From the sky, the coloniser attacks an incarcerated population. But let's remember who the people of Gaza are. The people of Gaza are mostly, the vast majority, refugees from from 271 villages that were destroyed in 1948. At the time, more than 500 villages were completely destroyed and ethnically cleansed. So the people in Gaza today are from 271 of those villages throughout historic Palestine. The the children and the grandchildren of those who did the ethnic cleansing back in 1948 are now pounding Gaza from the sky. And no amount of news about WhatsApp lists or any other distractions can take away from that simple fact. This is naked, unadulterated, colonial genocide. And it has been since 1948. So when the Albanese government, Albanese and one government chose to stand with Israeli settler colonialism, it's sending a clear message to us that there is no limit for their support and that even tens of thousands of murdered Palestinians is not too much in the pursuit of protecting their their, their joint colonial interests. By cutting UNRWA funds, while people in Gaza are being shelled and deliberately starved, could not make it clearer that, that, that this, is the, this is the position that they've taken. But I just want to give, give a little bit of context to what UNRWA is. So UNRWA was established around in the 1950s, specifically to service the, the, the needs of Palestinian refugees. A lot of needs of Palestinians, such as education, health, has been covered by UNRWA since then. It's the main service provider to Palestinian refugees. As I mentioned, over 80% of people in Gaza are refugees, therefore serviced by UNRWA. Not to mention Palestinian refugees in refugee camps in Lebanon and elsewhere. So, you know, my father, for example, he was nine years old when our village was destroyed and and my family was forced into Lebanon. He would not have received an education in the refugee camps in Lebanon growing up was it not for UNRWA. Him and many of my cousins and relatives would not have received an education and basic 
health, health needs, basic um, treatment. So when we talk about cutting, when they talk about cutting Anua funds, we're talking about cutting the largest service provider at a time that the occupier is deliberately starving and shelling the native population. But I also want to stress, I have a lot of, I have a few relatives and friends in Lebanon who work for UNRWA and our criticisms of UNRWA is that it doesn't go far enough. While it provides much needed uh, services to Palestinians, a lot of my relatives who work for UNRWA have been silenced and can't talk about things like the right of return and issues that are central to the Palestinian refugee problem. So our criticism is that it hasn't gone far enough because the Palestinian refugee problem can't be fixed by services. It's a political problem. It was a deliberate ethnic cleansing then, as it is a deliberate ethnic cleansing or attempt of ethnic cleansing in Gaza today, and therefore the solution is political. The solution is decolonial liberation. Many, many, many Palestinian refugees also believe that there's a conspiracy to destroy Palestinian refugee, the Palestinian refugee identity. Many, of, many Palestinian camps in our history over the decades after the initial ethnic cleansing, many Palestinian refugee camps have come under attack. Tal al-Zatar, Yarmouk, Nahr al-Bared, Ain al-Halwa, time and time again. This has been the Palestinian refugee experience. So I can't, you can't blame them for, for feeling that there's an attempt to destroy and erase the Palestinian refugee identity. But nothing they do, and nothing threatens Israel more than a, than a Palestinian refugee. Nothing makes their settler colonialism clearer than a Palestinian refugee. But my elders in the Palestinian refugee camps of Lebanon told me don't use the word refugee. We're not refugees, we're returnees. Because the dream of return will never, ever go away. In Australia, there are attempts to silence. No surprise. I mean, Australia is a settler colony in its own right. But these attempts to silence in Australia, while they can't be compared to the vicious colonial violence in Gaza, we can, we can draw from an inspiration from the Palestinian resistance to face Western imperialism in its attempt to silence, in its attempt to kill, in its attempt to maintain its, its, its hegemonic power throughout the world. The Palestinian resistance is based on liberation and return. It will never ever tire and it will continue until the bombardment of Gaza ends, until all refugees are returned, until all children, our, our hostages in Israeli jails, you know, being held in, in Israeli prisons without charge until they are all released, until every Palestinian returns to the villages of the origins, the resistance will continue. Long live the resistance.
what your bloody wars. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. We're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Dr. Mohammed Mahidim on the line. G'day, Mohammed. How are you? Hi, Annie. Good, good morning to you and good evening to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're on the other side of the world. Yeah, it's 11, uh, 11.50 in the night. <laughs> so thank you very much for getting up. But the reason for why you're getting up, Pleasure. yeah, yeah, the reason why you're talking to me is because you are the original founder of the Victorian Mosque Open Day, which is a very positive way of uh, opening the uh, the community's arms to the broader community, so that people can de- be de- demystify the uh, Muslim uh, experience in Australia. Yes. You hit the nail on the head by saying demystify. Uh, it was always uh, my idea that we needed to open our doors so that people could have a better understanding. And my philosophy was the open hearts, open mind. Well, certainly. And uh, what, what has been the experience? Because it's been running for about seven years or longer, right? Yeah. Yeah, when we started in 2017, we had 14 mosques, and then it gradually has built up. Then remember 2019, we had the Christchurch massacre, mm. and we opened our mosque two days. Uh, we opened our mosque on the 17th of March. 15th Friday was the Christchurch massacre. 17th, we opened our uh, mosque to the wider community because we felt we needed to heal. We needed to heal together. You know, uh, people came from all walks of life. Every mosque was packed. Over 50,000 people went through all our mosques. And if you saw, every mosque was covered in flowers. And it also was a healing process for both the uh, mainstream Australians felt they needed to come and show empathy with the Muslim community. For the Muslim community, it was a sense of saying, we are not alone. There's plenty of support for us. So it was a wonderful uh event that year, and then we continue with it. I think it's an ongoing thing, I think, especially in the current situation, what's happening in Gaza as well, that we can bring the community together and share our our mosque, our homes, because the mosques are not just a place of worship. It's a place where we come together in good times, in sad times, in 
is whatever situation that occurs, it's a home for everyone. It's a house of God, and it's open to anyone to walk in at any time and have a chat with the Muslim community. Um, do, do you? I mean, it, it's it's a two way street. Did people in your community yes. find it uh, um, confronting to open the doors? Because I mean, like you said, the the Christchurch massacre was just horrendous. And, and it was it was wonderful because I think it was healing process for the Muslim community. They did not have to have that fear in them thinking, oh, there's enemies out there. They saw the love and, uh, you know, comfort that was the outpouring that came from the community, wider community, was so healing. And I think that was the best thing we could have ever done. I remember uh, the day before I had lots of calls from uh, the police and all asking, are you going to go ahead with it? I said, yes, I am, because I said, we need to have this healing uh, between the communities, both Muslims and non-Muslims coming together, sharing in the sorrow of what has taken place, because it was one of our Australians who went and did the massacre there in Christchurch, so it was a real healing process, and I think it worked out beautifully. There were lots of New Zealanders who came as well, who visited the mosque, and I, I people just enjoyed and embraced the love that was given to everyone, I think. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, what it, it was. Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? You actually said it, uh, that uh, being Muslim doesn't mean you're not Australian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's what we are. We're all Australians, and we share, we share, and I think you know, this them and us mentality that some people try to create, we are the same as anyone else. We, we, if you pick us, we'll bleed. You pinch us, we'll cry. <laughs> we share the same concerns that every everyone does, and uh, everyone is trying to lead a life. Uh, you know, bring up their kids, look after their family. And the mosque, I think, is what we want to do is just break down those barriers. If people had fear, and I remember, like the ICV mosque in the city, there's. I remember when we ran it the second in the second year. We had some young, uh, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxon Australians come to the mosque and they said they used to pass the mosque every day and they were frightened to come in thinking they will not be welcome. And we have said, you can come into the mosque anytime, any day you want. You're allowed to come and sit inside the mosque. Just follow the, uh, you know, the whatever uh, uh, customs are there. Just follow them. But you're allowed to come and sit and... uh, you, you know, you can do your own meditation silently, you know, as long as you don't disturb the worshippers who are there. Mm. Which is, as a church as well, uh, which is the whole point. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a place of uh, spirituality and uh, calm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's a place of comfort, I think, for anyone. If you're, if you're feeling sad, I think I could walk into a church and be comfortable there. Or I could walk into a synagogue and be comfortable and the same way I would expect a non-Muslim to be able to walk into a mosque and be comfortable to sit there and, you know, think about what's happening or what's not happening for them and, you know, and yeah. have a chat. And I think coming to the mosque will not only you learn about the place, but you also learn to make new friends. Mm. The uh, this, this is the biggest one ever. There's 37 mosques in yes. Victoria that yes. are opening their doors. Yes, yeah. And seven in the region, seven, obviously seven of them are in the regional area, yeah. 
Oh, that's great. That's really fabulous. Um, the uh, so yeah. in places like Bendigo and uh, I don't know where all the yeah, other... uh, we are having Seymour, Mildura, <laughs> all those areas. Shepparton, everywhere they're opening more, the seven mosques, and Ballarat is also opening. <laughs> yeah, and and so Ballarat. <laughs> oh well, that's great. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, this year, because of the traumatic experiences that are happening in mm-hmm. Gaza and in the West Bank, uh, there is you, there's been a decision to highlight and to celebrate the Palestinian culture. Yeah, we are certainly doing that because, uh, uh, as you know, now I'm here in uh, Mecca in Saudi Arabia. This is the number one holiest place for us. Uh, Palestine and Jerusalem is the third holiest, you know, Al-Aqsa is the third holiest site for us. So we have a very close link to the Palestinian people. And today, all Muslims consider themselves to be Palestinians. (laughs) And we are sharing in the sorrow, you know, it's a vicarious trauma that all of us are feeding at the moment. uh, Because, you know, it's in our living rooms. (laughs) You know, you, you switch on your TV, you switch on your... Uh, your phone, you see these horrible uh, scenes. And I think it is for us showing our empathy, showing our support. We cannot go to Palestine and fight for them. We cannot do anything there. The only way we can show is our solidarity with the Palestinian people. And just to show people that being a Palestinian or the Palestinian culture is no different from any other culture and it can blend in with all the other cultures and be celebrated in a nice way. Well, you know, uh, it's um, horrendous, the whole idea. I mean, you'd have to have a lack of imagination not to realise how awful it must be for ordinary people and all of the people in Palestine at the moment. Um, the uh, it, If people wanted to go to the Open Day, uh, which is on the 25th of February, it's a, a Sunday, uh, what yes. time would be the convenient time to go? You know, when, how, what, what are the ideal, times? Yeah, ideal time would be any any time between ten and two. I think you'll have uh, some of the mosques will open from about nine till about four, but ten to two you'll definitely find lots of things happening, activities taking place, uh, and just walk in. Just feel free, feel comfortable to walk in and you know have a chat. Uh, taste uh, lots of uh, various cuisines that will be available as well. So many of the mosques, you know, they have got the various ethnic communities, so there's food being prepared, lots of uh, children's face painting and all taking place. So there's lots of activities, not only for the adults, but also for children to come in and see. Thank you for taking some time out to talk to me. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Danny, and all the best, and look forward to seeing you on the 25th. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was great. That was Dr. Mohamed Mahidim, and uh, he was talking about this. From Melbourne to Mildura, the Victorian Mosque Open Day is back. On Sunday, the 25th of February, mosques across Victoria will open their doors to all Victorians interested in exploring and celebrating the diverse cultural and religious tapestry that defines our state. Like so many others, the Victorian Muslim community is deeply hurting because of the war on Gaza. 
This year, we will be acknowledging our brothers and sisters by incorporating a Palestinian theme into the broader purpose of mutual respect, understanding and inclusiveness. Attendees can anticipate a range of engaging experiences, including community discussions, henna art, jumping castles, sausage sizzles and more. Find your local mosque at www.icv.org.au forward slash VMOD. The Islamic Council of Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Can't you hear the bell signal the warning? Here comes the storm, best we be gone Out to the street where the legions are forming I heard the call, more than ever before If we just scream at our screams, we will forget what it means I am flesh, I am blood, I am down in the mud To protect all the things I So much deeper than that There are brothers and sisters Whose burdens Are stacked so it's breaking their backs If we just scream at our screams We will forget what it means I am flesh, I am blood I am down in the mud To protect all the things I believe in I believe in I believe in us rising above hatred. I believe that love, love will elevate us. Change us to come. Change us to come. Change us to come. Change us to come. With Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and that was Moju. Change has to come, and uh, they are going to be one of the acts that are going to be part of an intimate uh, events running through a on uh, a new jazz club, which is the Counts Jazz Club, part of the Monash University Performing Arts Centre. That's at the Ian Potter Centre for Performing Arts. 
Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it, this is all directed to the southeast of the city, which is now becoming enormous. So this will be great news for people who are on that side of town. But it is the sort of thing that you might like to trek over to Clayton to take part of. The last Saturday of every month, starting on the twenty fourth of February, with Katie Kate is the first cab off the rank. I caught up with the curator of the events that are happening there and that's Chelsea Wilson who herself is a performer and uh, obviously a organiser of uh, some repute. So we're just going to talk about this uh, rather interesting, the uh, Counts Jazz Club. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I looked it up, and it's quite an interesting development, isn't it? That uh, they're having a jazz club out at the um, Monash University Performing Arts Centre. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's really it's really fantastic that Monash University is promoting live music and independent music, and has built a wonderful space on the campus that's open to the public. So you don't have to be a university student. You don't have to ever have even been to a university before or studied. It's a place for the public to come and enjoy live music every week. We've actually got four venues on the campus. So there's so much entertainment throughout the year of all kinds of genres. There's dance, classical music, theatre, uh, but specifically in the counts, it's contemporary music and a whole lot of jazz, which I really love. Yeah, and I also noticed that the executive director is Paul uh, Grabowski, which is sort of a really um, fabulous sort of connection, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I feel very fortunate to work with Paul, um, and I've learned a lot working with Paul, being a jazz musician. He's also, you know, a composer, written for, I think, over 20 feature films, but has also got quite a background in commissioning work when he worked for ABC and also as a festival programmer for Queensland Music Festival and Adelaide Festival. So he's got a real wealth of knowledge to steer the team and a, and a real vision for music and live art in the southeast. Well, the Counts Jazz Club, uh, what we're talking about today, Chelsea, is this... Um intermittent live series which is going to be on at the last Saturdays of each month and it's pretty amazing actually this uh, lineup. Yeah I'm super excited about this new Saturday night series called Intimate and Live. One of the things that we really love about the Counts Club is how up close and personal you can get with the artist. It's got a really relaxed vibe in the room you know we've got cabaret seating you can get dinner you can grab drinks got a beautiful sound system and a great piano and for this series we are going to showcase some of Australia's I think finest songwriters vocalists and musicians in this kind of stripped back unplugged format so you know like last year I saw Moji for example at Hamer Hall and you know, it was like 3,000 people there yeah. you know and it was an incredible show with a massive orchestra but in April, we're going to host Moju to perform solo. So it's a really extraordinary chance to hear some of these wonderful artists, but in this up-close format. So the artists are going to play a show, and then there's going to be a interview and a Q&A. Um, and then some of the artists will be signing merch as well. So oh, later wow. this month, 
we kick off the program with Kaite, who's an incredible spoken word artist, rapper and vocalist, really R&B, really soulful sounding music. I mean, she just creates gorgeous work. In April, Moju, as I mentioned. And then later in the year, Ella Hooper, who, you know, was part of Killing Heidi, but has been putting out their own solo records. And she is just so much fun and hilarious as a personality to chat to as well as an incredible vocalist. Tanya Doko, who was in the Bachelor Girl duo, and later in the year as well, Deborah Conway. So it's this is going to be a great way to spend your Saturday night. Say that again. Um, I really do uh, jump in here with that same reflection that uh, going to see things in, you know, what is in a very impressive uh, uh, venue, the Art Centre or Hamer Hall, great sound, in the Recital Centre as well. They are fantastic premier events. Yeah. But, yeah, they're really big. And um, this is like a 176-seat um, venue, very up close and personal. Beautiful thing to do. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the artists love it too because they get to really chat to people after the show, you know, and, and meet people who are excited about their work, you know. And the artists that we're booking for this series, you know, they might be ARIA Award winners and, you know, people that have, to it internationally but most of them are you know melbourne locals and people that live here and that want to connect with their audiences too so it's a wonderful way for you know especially for people who live in the southeast where you know monash and the counts is kind of their local really you know to pop down and see these world-class artists just in a local club just up the road well yeah that's the thing you see melbourne is huge and it's become yeah. to the point where people only gravitate to the places they feel most comfortable with. This is a really big deal. Yeah, it is. And, you know, a lot of people don't feel safe, you know, late at night travelling to, you know, different parts of the city. And I completely understand that. Um, so, you know, it's nice to be able to put on some shows in a venue, you know, hosted at a university because, it is a, a really safe place. There's free parking. It's well lit. You know, there's not huge staircases. You're not walking through some back alley. You know, it's an accessible venue that's easy to get to. It's it's affordable. And then there's these amazing artists and great sound system and really welcoming staff. So it's a great vibe. Yeah, yeah, pretty impressive. Let's get to you, Chelsea. You're a producer and artist yourself. How did you get this gig? And... Um, Aren't we lucky that you did? <laughs> well, I feel very lucky to be um, working with the team at Monash University Performing Arts Centre. There's some really great people working there. Um, I actually got involved through Paul Grabowski, who I'd met years prior through Melbourne International Jazz Festival. We spoke on a panel together Um and then I actually booked Paul to perform at the Stonington Jazz Festival when I was the artistic director there. And we got to chatting. And um, when they were building the new centre, he gave me a call and, and let me know, you know, what they were doing. And, and, you know, it was just a really exciting thing to be a part of, you know. Like, it's rare to be a part of the opening of a new performing arts centre at that, at that moment where it's just opening and there's so much potential and opportunity. And especially within a university context, there's some really exciting things going on where we can collaborate with different departments and create new artistic works that tap into 
the resource of the university in terms of research. So there's some really exciting things happening where we're inviting artists in to then collaborate with us, but also our science unit or our health unit to create new works. And so that research side of things also really appealed to me. Oh, yeah. That's, that's really fascinating. I mean, I was really taken by the um, uh, Kayette's uh being called a future soul artist, for example. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I guess in terms of soul music, you know, it's a music that, you know, really was birthed in America in the in the 1960s from black American artists. And so much of soul music, you know, when there's great hits, of course, you know, and you think the Supremes and Motown and all those things. But there was a real, you know part of soul music which was protest music and there was a lot of artists using soul music as a way to talk about what was happening with Martin Luther King and what was happening with the riots and the protests and all of that kind of stuff um, and I guess when we talk about future soul you know there's artists like Kaite who you know are using soul music still in that tradition to really speak out about their experience, her experience as a woman of colour um, and, you know, issues that affect her, as well as, you know, using the genre as a kind of reference point and inspiration for her own sound. So her music really fuses R&B and soul and it's a little bit jazzy and then, you know, with the spoken word stuff, there's a little bit of that hip-hop flavour so, you know, she's a really exciting artist. You know, she hasn't put out a record in a couple of years, um, but she's got one that's going to come out very soon. So I think at this show we're going to hear a preview of some of her new music, which I cannot wait to hear. Yeah, well, um, because I broadcast on 3CR and I sort of trawl through the music we have on our list and much of it is uh, contemporary and it's local and it's really here, and you don't hear it anywhere else. And all of these artists are on the, our lists. And what oh, I amazing! Get, I love three CR. You're all amazing. Yeah, well, I, I'm just absolutely blown away at how good these artists are. So it's great that this is happening. Yeah, thank you. I think so too. I mean, I wish you know commercial media and bigger outlets. We're as passionate about supporting local art as much as 3CR is. You know, it, just imagine the impact it would have on Australian culture more broadly. Yeah. You know, um, we just do have so much talent here, you know, and it does deserve to be heard. Yeah, and, and I noticed that you've actually uh, got a lot of female artists or people who um, perhaps wouldn't be on the, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, um, music in the supermarkets. <laughs> well, we need to speak to that whoever's running Coles Radio and maybe maybe send them some ideas. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, well, they're making a big mistake, and um, I, I just uh, love the idea of the Counts Jazz Club, and I hope everybody buys tickets. Where do they buy tickets? Well, it's quite exclusive. 176 tickets to be sold each time. Yeah, we'll get in. Do get in quick because, as we said, there's not that many um, seats available. You know, it's only a small club. Um, but we are, you know, presenting jazz every single Wednesday, and then our intimate and live shows on the Saturdays. And yeah, you can check it out at Monash University on our website. So you can go to um, monash.edu/mpac. 
Oh, good on you. Thanks very much for talking to me. Oh, I really appreciate it. I hope to see you there too at the club. I have to come down anytime. Yeah, great. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Talk or sing about kissing at midnight on a rooftop. Saying you let's go me to your bedroom, right? We'll be watching movies all night. Know how to grind and sit by them, both that shit hiding. They not no makeup on, some stuff on my head. You look into my eyes. Yeah, I prefer this you instead. You make me feel like an actual woman for money. You make me feel like I. Pretty much my controller. Let me see you robot. Haven't seen you in a minute, and I, I don't like dust. I didn't know that I was seen on jazz. Could rap and rap, a street tap and tap. Quit when I was 11 to work on my tennis. Now all I do is run from love, and I, I'm getting Galileo. Cause all I do is reach for the stars and Mars uh, and Venus. Uh, still we'll be ringing We'll be watching movies all night. You know how to grind and sit by the boat that shit tighten. They not no makeup on, still scuff on my head. You look into my eyes, you offer for this you instead. You make me feel like a natural woman for money. You make me feel like I have some emotion for money. Like I have enough thought to share with someone for money. You make me feel Driving on the full ADVX and slow but crazy. Smoking on that purple hazy. Pick me up at a friend's house. 40 minute drive. Subbed at McDonald's. Got a happy meal. Extra pickle, despicable me, toy inside. Yeah. It's my first time. I never kissed a guy like I felt his hand and maybe kissed the chick a couple of times. But none of that lip lips on shit. Never done none of that lip lips on shit. You reach into my mind, talk about the universe and how it is fair. That I want some blue hair, your mom and daddy don't care. Get all the girls' attention, and you blush when I say, <clears throat> Yeah, I know. And the white girls want your baby, and the white girls want your baby. Not to be enslaved, it was the last time you hooked a boy with a fresh face. Never seen his face lately. You told me how his woman took your place, but you forgot all about that and asked me how was my day. Yeah, I like that. And this is exactly make me feel you maybe feel like an natural woman for funny you make me feel like i have some And that was Key 8 
fantastic natural woman. And we were talking to uh, Chelsea Wilson, uh, who is the curator of uh, the uh, intimate and live uh, events happening at the Counts Jazz Club. Uh, it's at the uh, Monash University Performing Arts Centre. That's uh, 48 Exhibition Walk, Clayton, and uh, premier event uh, over in uh, the southeast of Melbourne. Uh, it starts on the 24th of February with Kait, uh, but uh, go to their website, uh, Melbourne Monash University website, and you will get all the information. And uh, I had to uh, drop in uh, a bit of chat right at the moment because I have to prepare you for the momentous return of This Is The Week That Was. But before you get to do that, suspense, suspense. Well, if you listen to Tracy, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to Tracy, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to Tracy, oh, I sure know where you are. If you listen to Tracy, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to Tracy, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to Tracy, oh, clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to Tracy, oh, clap your hands. What? Who the hell is that? Clap your hands. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio. A weak solidarity, Briggy team listener. Oh dear, I hear the groan. Sorry, we're back. When first, what we can't uh, ignore but can't satirise, all these weeks later, the only change is the slaughter and genocide may be getting worse. The population herded into a corner from which there is no escape. While Australia severely follows orders from Zion and the US and maintains a ban on and on aid based on the word of the slaughterers who have not produced the proof they claim to have. Netanyahu declaring UNRWA should be disbanded altogether, one more plank in the genocidal plan. While Zion's backers make mealy-mouthed mutterings about killing too many civilians, they, including Australia, don't tell us how many deaths, injuries and displacements are acceptable and not too many. While continuing to supply the merchants of death merchandise to the killing machine. At a recent Sunday rally, and how encouraging thousands are still turning out week after week, one speaker after the chair had said those bringing hate to the rallies can bleep off. He avoided the F word. The next speaker said, and Penny Wong, and hasn't she been an effing disappointment? Monday, the Age and the Financial Review had reasonably balanced coverage of the disaster happening and going to get worse in Russia while the Murdoch Herald Sun's only coverage was terrorist tunnels being uncovered beneath an UNRWA building, based again solely on the word of the Zionist propaganda machine. Now, a week or weeks when this year's Closing the Gap report on another people whose land was stolen showed no improvement in 14 of 17 targets, 14 of 17 areas of disadvantage. Still, as more than 60% of the non-Indigenous declared last year, no problem, we'll, we'll just continue to recognise that they don't exist in the first place. Terra nullius, non-land, non-people. 
no problem. And so Parliament and important practitioners of the greatest little economic order of them all got together to celebrate all that. And the caring business class party supremo and would-be big supremo, Constable Peter Duffer, told the celebration a His Most Gracious Majesty's commission into how the people who don't exist so mistreat and don't care about their dear little children would solve all those problems that don't exist. Then again, there's disconnect and disconnect. Let's disconnect from the non-land, non-people, problem solved. Assuming something that doesn't exist can be a problem. But the terror bit of terra nullius would disintegrate in terror. The world as we know it would collapse if caring employers have to disconnect from their ingrate, lazy, avaricious workers. Expressed cogently and beautifully by our old mate, Meg O'Neill before profits, supremo of great corporate citizen and fossil Woodside with profits. The right to disconnect would cause challenges for companies working across multiple time zones. Given we are a global organisation with times that span between Houston and Perth, there are literally no working hour overlaps. Uh, that's a problem, Meg. Problem? Problem? It would stop us ripping off our workers 24-7. How can a responsible fossil survive if we can only exploit our workers for the hours we pay them? Strong point, Meg, strong point. Expressed as lucidly and intelligently by the caring business class shadowy minister, Michaelia Kosh, the workers. The socialists have handed caring business class relations to their masters, the able unions. She fingered the problem, displaying her bottomless capacity for thought and reinforcing the pride of her elocution teacher. For the problems don't stop with giving workers a life. It also wants many of them to be paid when they're quite happy living in flexible poverty. Caring employers know that's what they want. Flexibility, the right to choose what hours they'll work to maintain their fun, fun, fun life of poverty. Proof as caring employers and Michaela point out, that caring business class relations must be left to caring employers and workers to reach a mutual agreement free from government intervention, union intervention, free from restrictive laws, crippling work practices like minimum wages and conditions, flexibility, win-win. Michaela was a partner with Free Kills the Workers, the biggest anti-worker, sorry, no, no, sorry, pro-flexible business class relations law firm in the country, which drafted the highly successful and popular work choices. Yet I always feel that if I hit court and someone said, Michaela's going to represent you, I reckon I'd plead guilty and throw myself at the mercy of. And the white coal is heaven supremo Paul Flynn said same, jo same job, same pay laws would be terribly demotivating for workers, showing his deep concern for his wage slaves, uh, sorry, dedicated workforce. They realise it's important, it's for their own good, that they get lower pay, Paul explained. While the Witch Bank, which used to be our bank, still managed record profits despite being fined $10 million from the petty cash tin for underpaying workers about $16 million by keeping them on individual agreements. They knew were ripping them off. The very business class relations system McKayla and Co. tell us is good for all of us. His honour, and this is hard to believe, seemed to think the wage theft, or sorry, underpayments, may not have been completely 
inadvertent. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Now, tough quiz. So it'll give us plenty of time to think about it. Full page ad in True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review, Glossy Magazine, 100 Top Business Graduates. I'd like to play my part by leading people with empathy and humanity. Sophie, graduate process engineer, Weeper. Create a better tomorrow with our graduate plan, Rio Tinto. Tough one, but try coming up with just one example worldwide of empathy and humanity by Rio Tinto. Rio Tinto the planet. As I said, we'll need plenty of time. But one outstanding exemplar of empathy and humanity, the pride of the hayseed and sheepshit party, Barnacle. And isn't it cruel how some people seem to be enjoying schadenfreude over poor Barnacle lying on a Canberra street mumbling incoherently into his phone? Cruel, cruel, cruel. Falling over himself to represent the people, pure dedication exhibited the previous weekend when he led a rally with co-meteorological experts, usual suspects, Keith Pitpony, Matt Canavan of Coal, One Notions, that appalling Hoonsun, unhinged True Blue Aussie Party, that, that's Clive Parmagina's lot, Ralph Babel, protesting over reckless renewables based on their deeply researched knowledge that there is no such thing as climate change, promoting non-reckless coal and gas and oil and uranium. So obviously the socialists who tell us they know there is such a thing as climate change, if there is such a thing, are not approving nearly enough new gas and coal projects. For they, the socialists, know we can't transition from coal and gas if there is no coal and gas from which to transition, indicating the cosmic choice facing the electorate. Unless there was a midnight lightning bolt on the road from Damascus or, well, from the booze up, and Barnacle was mumbling through his alcoholic haze, I've seen the light. Isn't he building up an enviable rap sheet? So the climate change that doesn't exist had nothing to do with the storm that hit us on Tuesday, all the storms and extreme weather now daily occurring somewhere. Thus, the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin, for instance, on behalf of Barnacle and Keith and Matt and that appalling and Ralph et al., declared the state socialists had failed. It was all their fault. They hadn't provided enough fossils. Renewables don't work. So all those twisted poles and fallen wires and damaged infrastructure had nothing to do with it. Power would have powered on but for a lack of coal and gas. The coal power that crashed was due to renewables. That's pure logic. As long as you know the extreme weather has nothing to do with climate change because there is no such thing as. Then again, during the break, there was a Capitalist Review editorial. Gina Hart-Hart sense crucial to green mining transition. And I thought, if that's the case, forget it. Goodbye, Mother Earth. Gina's cents, dollars and cents, that's her idea of cents. Dollars and cents and hysteria. Personal tragedy, listener. The whopping sin over five days has delighted us, thrilled us with bits of Taylor ending up with our very own life-size copy. Tragedy. I missed Sunday's Sunday's version, Sunday's edition, day one. So I've got Taylor with no feet. Then a brainwave. All that's left of poor old Captain Cook is his feet. So, 
genius, eh? And celebrating the His Most Gracious Majesty and U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the World Invasions in one fell. Meanwhile, in the real world, the coalition lot voted against that motion urging the US OB to stop pursuing Julian Assange for the heinous crime of exposing their war crimes. Because, as Constable Duffer pointed out and Barnacle burped, we must respect the US OB legal system. Sure, sure, we have great respect for a system stacked with Donald Trump or the poor judges. A system which locks people, largely black people, up on death row for 20 or 30 years and then murders them. Nothing but respect. Still, True Blue Aussie is likely to lock up its own whistleblower here for the same heinous crime, exposing our war crimes. Well, someone should go to jail over them and the odds on the war criminals themselves ever doing time are a million to one. Finally, and how could we forget... What national excitement and celebration. Big Supremo Anthony Albanese has announced his engagement. And so has his partner Jody. And even better, to each other. It's all excitement, isn't it? And given he's such a dedicated socialist, we can be sure there'll be none of the usual suspect big end of town hangers on at the wedding. Good morning. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the same. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and of course, that phone number ring during business hours. You can go online or you can drop in. And uh, we would love you to subscribe to the best radio station in the world. And on the line, we've got Lara Week from Techno Park. G'day, Lara. How are you? Hello, Annie. I'm all right. Thanks. How are you? Good. Well, there's. Uh, we'll get out, give our listeners a little bit of background to uh, what happened to the Techno Park uh, residents if they are unaware of the battle that you people have been waging to protect your houses? Uh, so I live at Techno Park in Williamstown. Um, 
It's a precinct of affordable housing on the Corroy Creek next to um, a tank farm that belonged to the old Altona refinery that closed in 2021. We live in residential buildings that were built as a migrant hostel in the 1960s, so people have been living here since the, the end of the 40s. Um, it's an amazing tight-knit residential community that shares a street with some light industrial and commercial businesses. Um, and a lot of people who live here are would be considered vulnerable and are able to live independently because they live in a secure and affordable housing in a supportive community. Yeah. Um, and, and, in, and people own their places. There are people who have been renting places. Uh, it's a, a, a group of uh, very strong, uh, about 100 people. Yeah, uh, between 80 and 100 people. And, um, yeah, all the buildings are privately owned. There's four blocks of units and uh, people are, are renters or owner-occupiers there. And you, you got some pretty dreadful news in letters from the uh, uh, council, your council, uh, Hobson Bay Council. That's right. In May last year, the council wrote uh, to everyone at Techno Park a letter that said um, you must cease living in your home immediately or face legal action. They say that the zone is industrial and therefore people can't live here, but it was zoned industrial in the 80s and they've enabled residential use all that time. Now, um, it's a, it's obvious that there's been a co- community backlash because that was in May last year and you obviously haven't moved. No, we haven't moved. We The council refused to meet with us or negotiate with us and so we said we're not going and we organised our community. Um, we've been advocating to our councillors to act on our behalf, and when they refused to do that, we've been advocating to the, the planning minister. And eventually, um, in October last year, the councillors voted on a new and uh, date to evict us, which is supposed to be May this year. All right, so they were being nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's really important that there's been uh, a community uh action uh, communities uh, locally as well as broader in Melbourne have been uh, aghast at this what's happened to you yeah we've really found that um, we have had so much incredible support from uh, people here in our local community in Hobson's Bay and people all over Melbourne really um, we've had almost 23,000 people sign a petition asking the council to look at other planning solutions that would keep people in their homes um, and uh, we just meet people every day who say they'll do whatever they can to help us. Yeah, and it's interesting because councillors from other councils have given you advice that there is a workaround and they, they're also a bit aghast that your council doesn't seem to want to come to the party. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the early things that we learned was that there was a similar situation in the city of Yarra in Abbotsford um, uh, about... Um, seven years ago, and um, that the council tried to evict people living in an industrial area, and the councillors were able to stop that from happening by making a very kind of simple change to the planning scheme um, that said basically they put an overlay on those buildings that kept the zone industrial but the homes residential, which they already had been for years and years. Yeah, right. And so there's been some... uh uh, news, news that's bro- uh, uh, you know news breaking news, you know groundbreaking news over the yeah. over the last day. 
So um, we've just heard uh, in the last couple of days that the, the planning minister has made a change to the planning scheme that basically says um, that we now are eligible to claim existing use rights for people having lived in these homes for 15 years or more. Um, the council, in sending our letter, and this is documented and clear based on some information we got from through FOI, um, part of the reason they sent the letter in the way they did was that they were attempting to extinguish our existing use rights. They knew we had the right to, in fact, live here because it was such a long-term residential community. And instead of inviting residents to apply to have those rights affirmed, they uh, they plotted for six months in order to extinguish our rights. And the change in the planning scheme now says that actually after 15 years, you cannot do that. Those rights continue even if, you know, a council writes to you and says you can't. You can't. So it's actually, it's amazing news for us. And um, the ball is fully in the council's court. They're fully empowered now uh, to recognise our rights and to um, uh, formalise our right to, to live here forever. Plot, plotting, that that's the, the operable word, isn't it? What's been going on at Hobson's Bay Council, one wonders? Yeah, it's really it's really shocking. You know, um, the ABC finally, after months and months of council not giving them anything, uh, were able to access some documents by Freedom of Information in the last week. Um, the council's public story has always been that they're obliged to act urgently to remove us from our homes for our own safety um, when they suddenly discovered that people lived here. Something we always knew was false. It's no secret that people live here. Um, and that they had no idea of the scale of residential use here until after they'd sent the notice. But um, the documents that the ABC accessed show that they were planning this eviction for at least six months, that they had a horrible code name for it called Operation Pegasus, as though, you know, they're plotting a war. Um, it shows that they knew at least half of the units here were residential and that people had been living here for more than 15 years and were entitled to existing use rights to remain. Um, it also says that Mobile had asked them to, quote, enforce the planning scheme here four years earlier, so back in 2018 when the, when the refinery was in operation and um, they didn't do it then. So the idea that suddenly, urgently, after the refinery was closed and the tanks next to us are empty, they have to act. It's just, it just doesn't add up. Um, and it also suggests that the council executives kept this information secret from our elected councillors, who then voted in October to evict us this May without that information. What's going on? Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. It's really you know the more we learn, the kind of more ridiculous and terrible it seems. We've made a complaint to the um, to the. Minister for Local Government. Um, it's 17 pages long and it outlines, you know, the council's behaviour across this time. And um, So what and, we're uh, talking about is not the elected councillors. They were taking advice from the administration section of the council. We have some complaints about councillors as well, but yes, mostly you're right. That's, it's about the council administration and their actions. That's incredible. 
That that's actually incredible. Um, I mean, not incredible uh, because I suppose this sort of thing happens all the time. But of course, if you, uh, your, if your residents, if you and your residents at, that you're talking for at the moment hadn't been a pol- politically astute uh, and had uh, other people working with you, they could have got away with this. Oh, I think they were absolutely counting on their sense that this is just a bunch of poor, helpless people who would run away when we were threatened. Mm, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's this idea that being financially poor... I mean, I'm not jumping to any conclusions. I don't know what people's bank balance is. But this concept that being financially poor equates to uh, being emotionally and intellectually poor is such a stupid idea. They're so stupid. Absolutely. I think what's really notable is that um, uh, many of the residents here who have been the most passionate, the most hardworking, you know, whose faces you will see, you know, on anything that we do, um, they're renters. For them, this is not a fight about property. This is a fight about uh, community and fairness and justice. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And we're, I mean, we're in a housing crisis. The idea that these people could go out of their way to make all these people homeless for some perhaps nefarious development plan, maybe that's what was going on. Well, and they have made people homeless. You know, they sent this letter to uh, both tenants and landlords saying, if you don't cease residential use today, immediately, we'll start legal action against you. And there are people who immediately said to their tenants, oh, my God, so you've got to go. And, uh, and the council has continued to say, oh, we don't want to make anyone homeless, knowing, knowing as a fact that they already did. What's the reaction of the residents today that now that this news is out? Um, I think people feel cautiously optimistic, you know. Yeah. A neighbour yesterday said to me, I just won't feel okay until I have a piece of paper that says we're never going to harass you again and your home is safe. Yeah, because it's been very traumatising, hasn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it has. Um, uh, what's the next move? What What are you going to do next? So we have a lovely team of lawyers who, um, when the news first came out about us, all called up and said, "We want to help you." For oh, free. what nice people! That's what yeah. I. That when I was writing notes, I wrote that lots of people from all a whole lot of professional backgrounds stepped forward for you guys. Yes, yes. Um, so yesterday they've written to the council. Um, uh, basically saying, do you recognise now that your um, actions are abhorrent and that your notice is meaningless and uh, will you leave everyone alone forever? (laughs) So we're going to wait and um, find out what they say. We haven't heard anything from the council. Do you have to... uh do anything uh, to activate or make it clear that you uh, to exercise your existing rights? Do you have to sign a bit of paper? Do you have to do anything? It will depend on the council whether they say yes. In our own internal documents that everyone's got now through Freedom of Information, we say we know people have been there for more than 15 years, so we've already got the evidence, so we can just um, 
uh, sign it off or whether they're going to um, ask that we provide evidence of 15 years um, residential use here and then whether that extends to the whole estate or, you know, each block or that will depend on, on them. And the next thing, of course, is there going to be any backlash to that administration or the elected councillors, do you think? Um, I think with the exception of one councillor who's called Daria Kalender and he has vocally supported us from day one, um, our councillors in Hobson's Bay are extremely unpopular. Um, yeah, people just have absolutely hated this decision and then councillors' silence and inaction on behalf of the community. It's pretty outrageous, isn't it? Um, Thanks for giving us an update, and uh, we are cautiously optimistic for you. Oh, thank you so much. Or with you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. That was Laura Weeks uh, from Techno Park. Uh, There is uh, a very interesting development uh, about their homes. Uh, The eviction notice sent out by... Hobson's Bay Council last May telling them that they needed to get out immediately or they'd get legal action against them uh, seems to have been uh, thrown to the wind now that the existing rights after 15 years and it's been uh, a residential area since the 1940s uh, seems to have put a kibosh on the administration's push for some whatever reason, because they were running a campaign sixteen month, uh, six months before they actually activated this campaign, a campaign to get rid of residents from an area in Williamstown. You can only imagine why they'd want to be doing that. Anyway, uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. This seems to be a highly appropriate song to play, uh, uh, D. Preston by Courtney Barnett at this point in time. You said we should look out further I guess it wouldn't hurt us We don't have to be around all these coffee shops Now we got that percolator Never made a latte greater I'm saving $23 a week We drive to a house in Preston We see police arresting A man with his hand in a bag How's that for first impressions? This place seems to press Californian bungalow in a cul-de-sac It's got a lovely garden A garage for two cars to park in Or a lot of room for storage if you've just got one And it's going pretty cheap, you say Well, it's a deceased Shower, a collection of those canisters for 
coffee, tea and flour And a photo of a young man in a van in Vietnam And I can't think of floorboards anymore Whether the front room faces south or north And I wonder what she bought it for back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and that's Courtney Barnett Dee Preston I have to say she is one of the most devastatingly fantastic poetry and music uh, performers of our time brings tears to your eyes songs like that Uh, it's the end of the program we're coming to the end of the program that is Uh, and um, we're we uh, remind you about Julian Assange, 20th extradition, uh, 20th of February is the extradition date. Uh, there's going to be a 24-hour vigil outside the UK uh, consulate, 90th, uh, 90 Collins Street in Melbourne. Uh, it uh, starts at 5pm on the 20th and goes to 5pm on the 21st of February. Um, you... Uh, 
where also uh, we we covered uh, a voice from the Sydney Rally for Palestine the 11th of February, uh, thanks to Vivian Langford from the Climate Action Show. Uh, we talked to Dr. Mohammed Mahidin about the uh, Victoria Mosque Open Day, the biggest it, uh, yet. It's been running for about eight years. This is the eighth year, I think, and there's thir- 37 mosques, including regional mosques, are open for people. Uh, recommended time between 10 and 2. Uh, they probably, some of them will be open from 9 to 4, but the a dead set between 10 and 2 on the 25th of February. Uh, there's, uh, we also went to the uh, newest uh, jazz club out in the southeast, the Counts Jazz Club. It's uh, Monash University Performing Arts Centre, uh, and it's we were talking about intimate and live. Fantastic concept to go to the Count Jazz Club and listen to Moju, I'll have to say, <laughs> or Kait or any of the others that are going to be uh, showcased on the second, uh, the last Saturday of each month, right up to August. They, they also have jazz on Wednesday. It uh, sounds great. Uh, heaven's back. This is the week that was, and we got an update on what's happened with Techno Park and the nefarious act, um, uh, manoeuvrings at uh, Hobson's Bay. Uh, council administration. Uh, there seems to be a reprieve. Of the hundred residents, or eighty to hundred residents, seem to have uh, reclaimed their rights, existing rights. Uh, Fifteen years they've been there, and uh, uh, they need to. Uh, the council needs to step down uh, and step away and uh, leave those poor people alone. But anyway, we'll find out what happens there. They're cautiously optimistic. Uh, next week, we've got an action-packed show. This week, uh, we're followed again by uh, Asia-Pacific Currents and we'll go out with another of the people that are going to be uh, playing at the jazz club. This is Ella Hooper. Get down, stay down. Come on before I need to 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.